and Val have just uh, begun to help us uh, with prayer ministry training. They're going to head up our prayer ministry groups, teams, in, particularly in our morning and evening service. Uh, but um, you've got a story that you wanted to tell and give, glo- give the Lord glory for. Yeah. Yeah. So we're delighted to Thank hear you. of God at work in your life. Good. Thank you. For a little while now, I've been sort of prompted to, uh, to tell the story. Um, in fact, a friend said to me the other last week, you should write a book but I promise I'm not going to be that long. All right. <laughs> uh, and some of you have heard some of this story, but uh, I thought I'd just uh, fill in the background, just uh, tell you something of my, my faith story. I, um, I was born, uh, as they say, at a very early age, um, and grew up in Docklands in East London. Now, that's the Royal Docklands, where the London City Airport is, not the West India Docklands, where, where Canary Wharf is. All right? may not matter to you, but it's important to me. <laughs> and uh, when, I was, uh, when I and my siblings reached the age of school age of, of five, she decided that as well as going to school, we should go to Sunday school because that was the place, she said, where we would learn right from wrong. And so we were sent off to the little Baptist church, which is two streets away, uh, to learn right from wrong. I don't think I ever quite got the right from wrong bit, but what I found was there were people there who introduced me to Jesus. And I can still remember my Sunday school teacher. I remember the minister and his wife, Jim and Marion. And there's two things I remember about Jim particularly. One, he was Scottish, but never mind. Um, and the second thing is he was the master of the flannel graph. And he brought these Bible stories to life and he managed to get these figures to stick on the board. That some of you are just looking at me, no idea what I'm talking about. But, uh, but you do, you really do remember. When I was uh, about 14, I was confronted with a decision to make because the powers that be decided that this little Baptist church was no longer viable and they closed it. And the next nearest church, about 20 minutes walk away, was the Church of England church and they invited us to go there. But I was 14 and at 14, a 14-year-old boy, you, you have other things uh, in life, football and, and, <laughs> and young ladies and, and that sort of thing. And I was starting also to get an awful lot of grief from friends at school saying, what are you doing going to church? You know, that's not the sort of thing you want to be doing. And so I had this opportunity to walk away. But uh, I was wisely counselled and and people were praying for me. And uh, I, instead of choosing to walk away, I chose to go, to continue to go to church and become part of this church down the road. And I chose and made a commitment to Jesus and they, that, the, the church received us warmly, and that's where I spent my teenage years. And uh, successive vicars took me under their wing and uh, uh, gave me a, a, a good spiritual education. When I was 18, I got a place at university to study economics, uh, which was great, except it caused a family rift. Because when my mum went to tell my grandmother that I had a place at university, my grandmother accused my mum of lying because kids around here don't get places at university. And they didn't speak for nearly a year. And I started my course, and I was going to be an accountant or a stockbroker. When I was a kid, I went to the stock exchange one day, and I was captivated by this idea of the coloured jackets and, uh, and so on. Um, and that was the plan. But then people started to say to me, uh, have you ever considered the possibility of full-time ministry? And, uh, and, I, and I faced the possibility of having to, and then God spoke very clearly to me. 
And, and I, just uh, a few months before my finals, I was sent to a selection conference, expecting they could say, go away, when you've grown up, come back. But they didn't. So at the age of 20, I was selected for training, and uh, a few years later, ended up in theological college, and then was ordained in my mid-twenties, and then returned to East London. And I served, as some of you know, in, in Walthamstow, then in Barking. Uh, for six years, I was a Barking vicar. Uh, and then to uh, Dalston in Islington, and then to Armerton in Hackney. My mum would continue to encourage me by saying, when are you going to get a nice parish? <laughs> then in 2011, for reasons, uh, for, some for family reasons, but also because we, we felt God's call, we decided to move out of London, and we went to Studley in Warwickshire. I... I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed, I really enjoyed parish ministry. I did it for 31 and a half years. I worked with some fantastic people, and I saw God at work in so many ways. In early 19, sorry, in only 2016, the wrong century, early 2016, <laughs> I was given a sabbatical leave. It was a sort of partly to celebrate 30 years in ministry. During this time, three things happened. The first was that Val and I just sensed that something was going to change. We didn't know what. So we made our own plan, and we decided that uh, maybe in a couple of years we, we'd make a, a, a change. The second thing is that, and I can only explain it as, as like God stalking us. Wherever we went, he would bring this verse to us, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. you probably know it, where everywhere we went, in sermons, sometimes in words from the front, Sometimes just strangers coming up in a conversation would say to you, I just feel the Lord has laid on my heart, Jeremiah 29, 11, which, as you know, says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. The third thing that happened was that I had a brain scan, one of those scans where you get injected with the radioactive stuff, you know, and you glow in the dark. Uh, for a while. Uh, the reason I got to that is because I'd, uh, I, I'd been under investigation for a number of years because I'm one of those people that the medical profession took get hold of. It all started when I had a seria, uh, some blood tests and my, my results are not normal. And uh, so they spent six years trying to work out. In the end, we, uh, we would go up to the QE in Birmingham to see the consultant endocrinologist and a professor of genetics sitting there scratching their heads over my latest set, set of blood results saying, this don't make any sense. And eventually they decided it wasn't life-threatening and somehow I'd survived thus far despite not being normal. <laughs> but during the conversation, I'd almost in passing said, actually, one of the things I have noticed is I'm, I'm, getting, I'm struggling a bit with my memory. And so they decided to send me to the memory clinic in Stratford and that led to the brain scan. And then after the sabbatical, I went back to work, and I was refreshed, ready to go, wondering a bit about the future, but we had a plan. Um, but within a few weeks, I found myself experiencing symptom, symptoms of stress like never before. I stopped sleeping properly. Everything became an effort. Even the most basic, basic things seemed to exhort me, exhaust me. And we decided that I would see a counsellor to get help. On the third or the fourth session, I can't remember, the counsellor said to me, she said, look, I'm not supposed to give direct advice, but my advice to you is that you need to stop and you need to stop now because if you don't, 
I fear something catastrophic will happen. I went to the GP the next day and he signed me off. That was on the Wednesday. The following Monday, we went to Stratford to see the consultant to get the results from my brain scan. The consultant said, when he got the results, he said, I'm very sorry, but the diagnosis is dementia. Frontal temporal dementia. It's one of the forms of dementia for that particularly hits those under 65. And I am under 65. Quite a lot under 65. And he said three other things. that These things stick in your mind, don't they? He said, one, you should go home and make a power of attorney so that somebody can make decisions for you when you're not, no longer able to do so. Second, he said, you need to inform the DVLA and they'll review whether you have a driving licence every year. And he said, oh, by the way, there is no medication which will help. He gave us a fact sheet from the Alzheimer's Society and sent us on our way. My first words as we got out of the clinic was to Val was, I need a coffee. <laughs> and we staggered down to a well-known coffee shop in Stratford. And Val went to get the coffees and I sat down. And as I sat down, what I could see across the way was a vision of me sitting in a corner, completely out of it, completely unaware of all that was going on around me. It was utterly terrifying. When Val brought the coffee and sat down, my next words were, we better do our bucket list. And so I started to do it. I still got it on my phone. The list of things that we were going to do before I die. I really must find out where I get those Kylie tickets. You can say, I was so far out of it that on the list is go to watch West Ham in the Champions League final. <laughs> the next few weeks were a bit of a blur. But importantly, what did happen is that we began to share it and people began to come to pray with me and for me. And one of the things that happened was some ladies from the church brought a prayer shawl. Interestingly. <laughs> And it was a difficult time. One of the sort of, uh, there were some lighter moments. On the, on the fact sheet, it says, a person with FTD, frontal temporal dementia, may lose their inhibitions and behave in a socially inappropriate way. And when I shared that with my friends, almost without exception, they said, but you've always behaved <laughs> inappropriately. And in the midst of the fog... As things began to settle, although the fact sheet painted this dark picture, we remembered what God said. God said, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. It was during that time that we turned up here. The problem uh, with uh, being in ministry is that it's very difficult to go to a church where no one knows you. If they don't know you, they know somebody who knows you. And so, and I just wanted to be anonymous. And so somebody suggested that we came here, and that's why we came. I'm hugely, we are hugely thankful for your welcome and your love. One of the first people we met was Jim and Hazel. And I think it was my second week where Jim said to me, I think he'd sat in front of me during the service, and he turned to me and he said, you can sing. Want to come to the choir? <laughs> and so I did. And I have to say, I am 
hugely, hugely grateful to Jim and Anna and the rest of the choir because that became really important to me. After a while, we took advice, and the advice that I had was that I would take medical retirement, and I officially retired last the end of last January. On the Sunday, Saturday, we had a sort of farewell party in Studley, um, and I have to say the church there have been and continue to be amazing. Um, and we had this farewell. And the next day, I came and came for worship, and about halfway through the service, the sense of grief and pain overwhelmed me. I can still feel it. And I just burst into tears and I just cried for 15 minutes, I think. And I'm thankful for those amongst us who just come and held me, I think, during that time. But it had to happen. I had to begin to let go. I then started some follow-up appointments and I went to see a few months, uh, six months or so later or longer than that. We went back to see the consultant and he said to me, how are you? And I said, I'm okay. And he turned to Val and said, how is he really? And she said, he's okay. <laughs> and so we had a discussion what we should do next, and he discharged me. And we said to him, there are a lot of people praying for me. We saw the clinical psychologist who'd seen me before, and she, uh, after about five minutes into the conversation, she looked at me quizzically and she said, but I've seen your scan results. You shouldn't be like this. We said, there are a lot of people praying for us. And she just looked at us. A few months ago, I had to go, I was called by the GP to go for a dementia review. One of those things where you get, starts with, do you know what day of the week it is? And then the questions get more difficult. Um, I have to say, I was a little bit naughty. You know, do, you know, do you know who the Prime Minister is? Is it still that nice Mr. Churchill? Can you count from 1 to 20 backwards, yeah? <laughs> Would you do it for me? <laughs> anyway, this test, you can get, um, I think you, the high score is 25-30, which is uh, not good. The lowest score is zero, which is good. The best you can get. I got zero. Zero. I said to the GP, there's a lot of people praying for me. And she just smiled sweetly. I tell my story because first and foremost I want to give thanks and praise for all that Jesus has done for me. But also because I'm aware that there are those amongst us who are treading a similar path. And I hope and pray that my story will bring you encouragement. I share my story because I want to testify to the God who is at work amongst us and through his Holy Spirit heals, renews and restores and I pray that we might be encouraged more to step out in faith to pray for the signs of the kingdom. I also want to testify to our generous and gracious God. In his love, he has provided us with so much. I want to testify to the God who has gone before us and who has been faithful to his promise. If you're going through a tough time, I want to encourage you that God is not going to let you go. And he wants to give us more than we could ask or imagine. And I've also learned that if I am to receive what God has for me now, I've got to let go of the past, even though that was good and important for me at least. And maybe some of us need to learn that lesson. We have to let go 
of the things that we're holding on to so that we might receive what God has for us. I've also learned to let people minister to me. Having spent 30-odd years ministering to others, that was a hard lesson to learn. But I've learned that it is wonderful to be part of the people of God. Imperfect though we are. Right now, we don't have a plan, but we do know that God has. And we simply want to walk in it. I've been told numerous times that there's no such thing as retirement in the kingdom of God. And so from now, I'm simply seeking to be useful to the one who saves me, who loves me, who heals me. Amen.